Good evening, everyone. It is Wednesday, June the 22nd, 2022. It is currently 7.13 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas, when typically I'd be coming to you live from Victory Baptist Church located in the middle of nowhere, Texas. But that did not happen tonight. So I'm here in my home, second story bedroom, look overlooking a street here in Abilene, Texas, and I, well, I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready. It's been one of those days where things have not necessarily gone right. I cannot necessarily tell you I'm in the best place mentally or even physically to be doing a live broadcast this evening, but we need to do this because we made, well, I can't say we, see, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to place some of the blame on you. I made a commitment that we were going to go through 30 scriptures in 30 days. And when I said that, I, I meant to say we were going to do it in order, that we weren't going to skip a day. That's how I intended it. So no matter what, well, we're going to do something. Even if I don't think I'm 100% ready, we're going We're going to do this. Hopefully it'll be beneficial. And not only that, well, I, would, I, I should be standing behind the pulpit right now at Victory Baptist Church. So yeah, even, even when I'm not 100%, I, I always try to be there no matter what. Uh, no, no matter what happens. So we're going to make the most of this, and hopefully it will be beneficial. Now, for this series, thirty, basically 30 days and 30 scriptures, remember, every one of these episodes, we never know exactly what's going to happen because what I'm doing is live on the air. I'm just opening up the book, 30 Life Principles by Charles Stanley, looking at the principle and looking at the main scripture he gives supposedly from which the principle comes from. Uh, so uh, we're, we're, we're going to simply, I'm just looking at it in real time and then in real time trying to say, okay, we're going to set aside the principle he supposedly took from the scripture. And I try to come up with some principles that I think are helpful and beneficial. So far, see, today is day 10. We have 22, <laughs> we have 22 Principles. See, that's why I couldn't write a book like that. I couldn't come up with 30 light principles based off 30 scriptures because 30 scriptures, I'm going to end up with 300 principles, but hopefully the principles we've come up with so far has been beneficial. I And, and one way, I love that we're doing it this way because to me, it's more, it's, it's challenging on me that I like, you know, there's no safety net. I'm live on the air and I'm like, okay, all right, what am I going to do with this one? What am I going to do with this one? But it's designed to make you sit there and listen going, oh, I wonder what he's going to do with, what would I do with this one? What would I do? Now, I don't know if it's having that effect on you. You may just be like, well, he he's the dummy who decides to turn on the microphone and do this. I feel, I feel no, I don't feel any motivation to try to do the same thing. I don't worry. I don't care what, 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 principles he comes up with. It may not be actually working, but I'm trying to get you involved in the process because you know, ladies and gentlemen, you know that I do not like passive listeners. I like active participants. So hopefully you will active participate on this Wednesday evening as we turn to day 10, scripture number 10, to see what principle Charles Stanley came up with. And remember, I've already think, I mean, I cannot be dogmatic about this, but in my estimation, he came up with the principles and then he has, in a sense, forced them onto these scriptures where I think that's not the correct way to do so. I think you go to the scripture and see what principle can arise from it. So far, we've come up with principles, but I'm waiting for the one where we look at the scripture and we're like, I don't know what we do with that. And we may, it, well, that could be a very uh, short broadca broadcast. So far, that has not happened, um, but we will see. So are you ready? Charles Stanley wrote a book called 30 Life Principles. In the book, he gives a principle and he gives a scripture, again, which supposedly supports the principle. We're going to look at the principle. We may make some comments about it, but the real goal is to set that principle aside and just look at the scripture. I think in every, almost every case, I think in every case, he's grabbed scriptures from the Old Testament. In many cases, very kind of not the scripture you would think he would choose. Some of them seem very obscure, kind of off the beaten path per se, which has made it very challenging. So I, I, I really don't know what, every time I open this, I don't know what to expect, but hopefully, well, we'll, we'll come up with something. So are you ready? Here we go. I'm opening up the Kindle app, if it will open. Here we go. All right. I have opened it up to life principle number 10. 
again, as written by Charles Stanley. And remember, we're not looking at this because I agree with Charles Stanley. So far, we haven't really agreed with any of the principles, but that's okay. Here we go. Here is supposedly what he calls, well, I guess it's not supposedly. Here is his life principle number 10, and then we'll look at the scripture that it supposedly comes from. Here we go. Here is the principle. If necessary, God will move heaven and earth to show us his will. If necessary, God will move heaven and earth to show us his will. Now, as soon as I read that principle, I have a million issues here. I have a million issues. And so I don't want to spend too much time on the principle itself. I want to look at the scripture, but we have to talk about this. We have to talk about this because there's a very, there's a probably a very good chance that many people who hear this will hold to a very similar view that I think Charles Stanley is promoting in this particular principle. I think most evangelicals hold to this principle, and I completely outright reject it. And the principle goes like this, okay? I want you to hear, hear this carefully. They may, not, they may not categorize this the same way I am. They may not divide it the, way, the same way I do, but this is what I have seen in a good portion of my Christian life. That's what I was taught, all right? Here we go. Okay. Well, good point. Someone just said he wouldn't need to move heaven and will if he wanted us if he wanted us to see as well. That's a good point. It probably wouldn't require much, right? Like here. <laughs> right. But that that that's a good point. Okay. I, I, I wasn't thinking of it that way, but that's a good that's a good point, right? So we, we may have to come back to that. But here's what I want you to consider. Again, this is I think a very common teaching that probably everyone listening has experienced in some way. There is this concept in the evangelical mind. It seems to be widespread. It almost seems to be like just a given. And if you raise your hand and go, "Mm, I'm not so sure about this, they're like, stone the heathen, get out. They don't don't know what you are, but here here it goes. Here's what, here's, there are two, because, yeah, because I reject it. Here we go. You ready? All right. They believe that you have the will of God as revealed in Scripture. So, like, if you want God's will, you open the Bible, and there it is, okay? And we would all agree on that, that God's Word gives us His will. God's Word reveals His will to us, right? It reveals that will to us. It's the, it's the will of God revealed in His Word. And all we have to do is read it, and study it, hopefully properly interpret it, make sure we're properly applying it, make sure that we're not saying something is God's will that's simply descriptive and not prescriptive. Lots of hermeneutical issues there, but God's will is revealed to us in his word. However, within the evangelical world, they not only have the will of God as revealed in his word, they have the will of God that you have to seek and find out apart from his word. It's separate from his word. You have to pray about it, seek it, listen for it, and it can be like where to move, what job you should have, who you should marry, who you should date. It's about so many issues. There's it's called the I'm going to refer to this as somehow the secret will of God. You've got the the revealed word of God in his word, and then you have the secret word, the the secret will that you have to try to seek out. You have to try to find it. You have to listen to it. See, does God want me to be a missionary? Does God want me to go to school? Does God want me to marry that person? Does God want me to move here? Does God want us to buy that house? Does God want me to take that job or that job? Does God want me to take the promotion or not take the promotion? Does God want this, that, I mean, it's about everything, everything you have to, and, and you're not going to find that necessarily in his word. Now they would tell you, yeah, you, you, you consult the word of God to see if it has anything that would possibly help you, but that it, it, it's a, it's a will that goes beyond his word. In other words, you're not going to find exactly those things in the word. The word of God may give you kind of a guidelines but if you re- you've got to go beyond it. Now they may not like they don't like to use that word, but really it's it's the secret will of God that is found outside of his word. The word will give you some I guess checks and balances, a safety net to make sure that you're not too far off the path. So in other words, whatever you think this secret will is, you have to check it with the word of God, but it's still outside of God's word. And and it's usually you hear it 
some still small voice, a feeling. Uh, you Maybe you ask for some kind of confirmation and then something happens. You're like, well, that see, that has to be God's will. That has to be. And just, you, you, you've probably heard it. You've probably found yourself struggling trying to find it. It's got to be there. And I reject it outright. I just, I just completely reject it. I, I don't even pretend. I believe God's will is revealed to us in his word alone. I don't think that I have to sit there and try to figure, wait, what do I feel here? Wait, what about this? What about this? Now, I do believe that if I get ready to do something in life, right, that, yeah, I checked. I, I, I am obviously should be aware and always consider God's word in anything and everything I do, because if God's word has a clear prohibition against it or condemns something, you know, hey, I think, I think I'm, you know, I'm called to, to rob banks, Okay, well, obviously that wouldn't be from God because, well, God condemns stealing. You get the idea. I'm going to go into politics. Well, that's probably not good since, well, all they do is lie and God hates lying lips. You get the idea, okay? You get the idea. Um, Now, I know you could say, well, I could be a politician and not lie, but a little bit of a joke there, but you get the point. You get the point that I do believe you need to know that God's word is the key. So if something is not clearly forbidden by God's word. It's not clearly prohibited. It's not like this is a sin. This is wrong. Well, then you can't sit there and say, well, I got, I got to figure out what, what, what God wants me to do because it's, it's, it's just, I've watched too many people try that. And it just becomes this really weird, like I got a feeling I, I felt this, I had a dream and it's just, it's subjective. It's emotional driven. And guess what? It will change in five seconds. Someone will be like, oh, this is what God wants. And next thing you know, well, what happened? I thought that's what God wanted. Wait, 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 wait. what happened? What happened? What happened? What happened? What happened? So uh, they, they never, the people who supposedly abandon what God supposedly so clearly revealed, they never really have a good answer why. They, they just move on. They just move on. And you're like, wait a minute. You you told me that was God's will. You it, it, But they just move on. And so I reject it. I believe God's will is found in his word. That's what I believe. And I believe anything I decide to do that's not clearly outlined right here in Scripture, that's not clearly outlined in Scripture, then um, what I do is I just go check the basic principles and make sure I'm not violating anything that's in God's Word, violating a, a principle or a command or a prohibition. And if I'm not doing anything like that, then I cannot say, then I, then I can say that it's not in conflict that my decision, my action is not in conflict with the revealed will of God found in his word. But I'm not going to sit there and say, I think God God wants me to do this and God wants me to do that. I, I, I just think that that's, I, I just think you'll just drive yourself insane. I just, I think, and I know people do it all the time. I know that's how Christians love to talk, but to me, it's just subjective emotional based and it's it's just well i've seen some crazy things come from it now i know i'm going to get emails people disagreeing that's okay if you want to believe that you can sit here and listen to some still small voice and figure it all out be my guess be my guess i would rather just say okay here's what i'm going to do or here's my opportunities or here's my choices here's what i'm going to do and none of those are in any way shape or form a prohibition against anything God has, or there's no prohibition against it. There's no command against it. And then that's, well, then I'm going to just then choose which one I think is best based off whatever criteria that I am using. All right. And, and I may, and I may, and again, I'm not saying you reject anything in the Bible. I'm saying you would, you would consider the spiritual implications of what you're doing as well, obviously, but I just don't look for some secret thing. Now, the reason I, I'm mentioning this, the reason I'm taking 15 minutes to talk about this is when you read a principle, if necessary, God will move heaven and earth to show us his will. That clearly demonstrates that's a will that's not clearly revealed in his word because he wouldn't have to move heaven and earth for us to open up the Bible and read it. <laughs> right? He wouldn't have to move heaven and earth. See, this is some will outside of the Bible. So I am not shocked at all that he would pull for a scriptural support for said principle, something from the Old Testament, because we know a couple of things. Old Testament, God was communicating in many different ways in the Old Testament, right? 
through prophets, through dreams, through uh, audible voice, all the different ways, visions, all the different ways. And we know the canon wasn't closed. So clearly, if these people needed to seek out God's will, they couldn't just grab their Bible. They didn't have a completed canon. They couldn't just say, well, let me grab, let me grab my Bible and start. No, that God was revealing things in a completely different way at that particular time. So he's going to take something from a, a, a time period that is not how things are for us today and is going and d- derives a principle from it, which I think is just, well, not rightly dividing the word of truth in any way, shape, or form. But what scripture do you think he's going to go to? What do you think? Second Chronicles chapter 20. Oh, boy. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Remember what we're trying to do is not go look at the, all the context, just look at the scripture he's given. I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. I, I think there's going to be a part of me that we're going to have to look at context. But here we go. All right, so his principle if necessary, God will move heaven and earth to show us his will. We're setting his principle aside because it carries with it the idea that God has his revealed will found in his word and then a, a mystery will, a secret will that is outside of the word. And I reject that concept. I reject it. And I know that gets me rejected by most in the evangelical world, but I, it's just, to me, it's just subjective craziness. So, uh, he's going to point us to Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. So we set aside his principle. Let's see what principle we can find in the text. Here we go. So, uh, did I say Second Corinthians? Second Chronicles. I don't know why I said Corinthians. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. If I said uh, Corinthians, I apologize. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. Here we go. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. O our God. Will thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Okay. All right. All right. If I said the wrong verse, I apologize. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. I apologize. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. I apologize, okay? If I'm not being as clear as I try to be, I apologize tonight, all right? Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. Let's read it one more time. And if, I, and if you're ever listening live and I say the wrong book or the wrong verse, so please tell me so that I can correct it because I hate going back to listen going, why was I saying uh, Corinthians? But Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. Here we go. Oh, our God, Will thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Now, I'm, I'm guessing why he chose this verse is here's people facing something and they don't know what to do. They don't, they're baffled, they're confused. Hey, we don't know what to do, but we're going to look to you. And the concept is then God is going to move heaven and earth to show them his will. They don't know what to do. They're like, I don't know what to do. Show me. And then he's going to move heaven and earth to show them. That's why they went to, uh, he chose Second Chronicles 2012. That's, that's the best I can come up with. All right. Now, again, he's going to an Old Testament passage where God is speaking and communicating with him in a completely different way than he communicates with us, all right? I don't know. People constantly go to the Old Testament and try to grab things from these historical narratives and make them like it's prescriptive for us today. But you can go all throughout the Old Testament. You see things all, You see things constantly in the Old Testament that are not happening and not active today. I, it, this shouldn't even be a subject of debate, Right? God is not dwelling right there in the Shekinah glory and a tabernacle. We're not doing animal sacrifices. He's not leading a nation by a pillar of cloud and a cloud and a pillar of fire. He's not pouring out, you know, supernatural plagues upon nations. He's not parting the Red Sea. He's not feeding people supernaturally. He's not doing so many things in the Old Testament clearly are not happening today. People like Samson are not being given supernatural strength. We can go on and on and on and on and on. Things are like that are not happening. That's a fact. So, so I mean, that's not even up to d- dispute or debate. 
So immediately we have to realize, okay, we got to be careful what we're grabbing from these time periods where things are not operating in the same way. So what, however God reveals himself in this situation is not some prescription. Okay, well, I don't know what to do. God, I don't know what to do. And then boom, he's going to move heaven and earth and do what? Some supernatural event to show me his will. That's just, to me, that's just horrible to try to give people that idea because they're going to find themselves very disappointed, very discouraged, and maybe start thinking, wait a minute, something about this is not working. But what's going on in this text? Let's see if we can get some kind of idea. Let's go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. Let's see if we can kind of figure out what's going on, all right? I, I don't want to go... Part of me doesn't want to go through the entire context, but we're going to have to at least establish something if we even hope to come up with a principle for with verse 12, right? I, I'm, st- I'm tr- thinking of some principles, but I think we may just have one. I think only one may work. You, you, you can tell me what you think, but here we go. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. And it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon with them, uh, with and with them other besides the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. So let me read that all again. That, it's a mouthful. And it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them other besides the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came that told Jehoshaphat saying, there cometh a great multitude against thee, from beyond the sea on the side of Syria, and behold, there be an Hazazon Tamar, which it which is in Ingadai. All right, so you got all these people coming against Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. So Jehoshaphat's scared. He's like, this this does not look good. I got all these people coming against me. This is a bad situation. So he, uh, he, he's afraid. He set himself to seek the Lord and he proclaimed to fast throughout all of Jude, Judah. All right? That, that, that's very simple. Think of it this way. Military threat, invasion. Jehoshaphat is afraid. He seeks the Lord and he proclaims a fast throughout all of Judah. Verse four, and Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord, even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Everyone is like, wait, this is not good. We're all going to die. We're all going to be taken captive. We've got to seek God. So everyone starts seeking God, all right? Everything looks good, verse five. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, God of our fathers, Are not thou God in heaven, and rulest not thou all of the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? So he begins to speak to God, and he he basically begins to confess some truths about God, right? Hey, you're the the God of our fathers. Are you not the God of heaven? You rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heaven. You're the true ruler. You rule over all of these heathen nations. And in thine hand is thou not power and might that thou, that none is able to withstand. You're more powerful. You're, you rule over all these nations. That, that's, that's a powerful thing to confess, right? Because on one hand, if all of these nations are coming against you, well, God, you're powerful. You could stop them. God, you're, 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 you're a, a more powerful than all of them. You, I mean, you're, you're in charge of them. Why are they coming against us? Th- this is a, a powerful thing to confess at this particular time. He goes on to say, verse 7, Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend forever? All right, so you're the God of our fathers. So he's he's dealing with, you know, that there's a connection between us and you because you're the God of our fathers, that you are the God of heaven, all-powerful, sovereign. You rule over all the nations, and you have the power to do whatever. So it's a real... On one hand, confessions like this 
They're very theologically sound, but they do raise lots of philosophical questions because, again, hey, God, if you're sovereign over all of this, then why are they here? Why are they here? And you would have to argue that somehow they're there because of God's providence, because of God's will, because if, if he didn't want them there, they wouldn't be there. So what is God's will in this situation, right? I mean, yeah, we could have all kinds of questions. Well, let's see what, what else they go on to say here. All right, then, then he, uh, he, he confesses again in prayer. You drove out all the inhabitants of this land before the people of Israel. He, rem- he He's confessing and again, in a sense, reciting, hey, you've driven people out before you, 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 you're because of your power, because of your promises. Verse 8, and they dwell therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, if when evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before the house and in thy presence for thy name is in the, this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, and then thou wilt hear and help. So you you basically brought Israel into this land, they've built a sanctuary, and they turn to you and cry for help whenever there's punishment or the sword or, or whatever affliction that they may face. Verse 10, and now behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. So, Lord, they, he, he, Jehoshaphat states it in a way, you, we were not allowed to do anything with these people, and they are, in a sense, rewarding us by coming against us, by trying to destroy us. All right? So, uh, uh, then he says, verse 11, behold, I say how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. So we weren't, we weren't, Israel wasn't given the ability to destroy those people. Now they've returned that favor by coming to drive us out of the possession of the land that you gave us. So this, he's confessing God's power. He's confessing God's past acts, but he's definitely confessing the fact that, hey, you've given us this land and they're coming to drive us out. So in a sense, you you brought us here, you made promises for here, we need you to do something. And then verse 12, O our God, will thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are open, are upon thee. Now, I don't I still don't know where he's going to move heaven and earth to show him his will. I, we'll, we'll we'll read a little bit further and see if, if if we get some clear indication of how this is supposed to take place. But here's what we have. We have a people facing immediate danger, imminent threat, right? An imminent threat, a very present a very present threat. All right? It's present, it's real, it's immediate. They're in danger. Clearly they they don't know what to do. They 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 realize their lack of ability. They realize that they're in grave danger. They don't know what to do. They confess. I mean, I I love the one thing I love about this confess. Neither know we what to do. We don't know what to do. I, I do love that. That that from a physical, materialistic perspective, they're just I'm clueless. I don't know what to do here. I don't know what I can do. I'm just we're, we're out of answers. We're out of answers. But I love that it acknowledges lack of ability and lack of knowledge, but says our eyes are upon you. And the prayer that he gives recites what they do know. There are certain things we do know about God. There are certain things we know that he has done. We know who God is. We know he is the sovereign all-powerful ruler over everything. He, he is sovereign. We know God has made promises, and we know what God has done. I love this, that when confronted, I, I'm going to kind of formulate a principle here. I think this is very important. When we are confronted with what we don't know, we need to always remember what we do know 
as found in God's word. When we're facing a current situation and we don't know, we don't understand what to do, we're just clueless. What we do need to do to do is remind ourselves of what we do know as recorded in scripture, who God is, God's promises, and what he has done. That's what we can always go to, who God is, his promises, and what he has done. Because what he has done, even though it may not be a direct promise to us, it shows his ability, shows his power, shows him maybe acting to keep his promise, those types of things. So I'm going to formulate that as a principle. I'm going to formulate this as a principle. All right. I'm turning pages here. I'm going to go to, uh, this will be number 23 if, if we're going in order or number one for tonight. All right. So here's the principle. When... Confronted with a situation, I'm trying to write this so I can read it later. When when confronted with a situation in which we don't know what to do, we remind ourselves of who God is, what he has promised, and what he has done. All right. I don't know if I can read any of that, but when confronted with a situation in which we don't know what to do, we remind ourselves of who God is, what he has promised and what he has done. And we go to scripture for that. This is not some like mystical thing where I've got to try. No, no, no. I look to scripture. Scripture tells me who he is. Tells me a sovereign, all-powerful, holy, all-wise. You know the attributes. I go to those scriptures that reminds me of who he is. I, I can look at the promises. Now, I'm not saying I start claiming promises that are not ours, but I can have promises of eternal life, pro all the different promises he's given to us that are specific for us. That if we don't know how to pray, the Spirit makes intercession for us. That if we sin and confess our sins, all of our sins, uh, He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all our righteousness. That we have an advocate with the Father. I can go to all of those that I am a, that nothing will separate me from the love of God, that I'm a, a child of God, I'm a co heir with Jesus Christ. I can go to all the promises that are specifically for us. So I go who He is, what He has promised, and then I go to what He has done. What He's done, maybe. And just in general in the Bible, but specifically what he has done for us, sent his son. His son died for us. He, he sent his spirit. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. He has chosen me, called me. He is preserving me. On and on and on and on and on. Those are the things we do know. That doesn't change the current situation where you still don't know what to do, but it gives you something to cling to. It's, it's like, it, it may not be, think of it this way. Um, it may not be the shoreline, right? Like, let's say you, you end up in the middle of the ocean. It may not be the shoreline and you want to get to the shoreline, but it may be something you can cling to and hold on to, to maybe hopefully the current will take you to the shoreline. It's, it's better to have something in the middle of the ocean than nothing. And you try to keep yourself afloat until you get too tired and then you drown. This is something you can crawl onto almost like a raft. You can crawl onto and at least find some sense of of security, something you can hold on to in the midst of being tossed to and fro with whatever situation you are facing, where you're like, I just don't know what to do. I don't have a clue. I don't know what to do with this situation. I have no answers. I don't know which direction to go. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to think because whatever I do, whatever I say is only going to make it worse. What do I know? I know God is holy. I know God is eternal. I know God is all powerful. I know God is sovereign. I know God is omniscient. He knows everything. I know he's present at everywhere at all times. I can start reciting what I know about God. Here are the promises I know he has made to me. And I know this is what God has done in the past for me. And just, I know that when God keeps his promise, when makes his promises, he keeps his promises by his actions. 
Those are the types of things I can cling to. I'm not saying it's going to answer. I'm not saying you're going to do that and go, I feel so much better tonight. That situation that I have no clue what to do. You may not feel any better, but at least you have something. Something sometimes is better than nothing. I mean, it should be always the case. I know that's not not much of a very deep concept, but something is better than nothing when facing the unknown. Knowing something is better than knowing nothing when facing a situation of uh, that that you don't know what to do. So let me just read read this again. When confronted with a situation in which we don't know what to do, we remind ourselves of who God is, what he has promised, and what he has done. And you see this. I know that that principle is really going beyond the verse, so I guess in some ways I'm kind of cheating here. But that prayer to me is just so powerful because he he just he states these, he confesses these things about God. He confesses these things about God, and we we have who God is, we, we have some re- references to promises, and we see what God has done, all right? So, O our God, then back to verse 12, uh, 2 Chronicles 20, 12, O our God, will thou not judge them, for we have no might against thee, uh, against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. I'm going to go with another principle here. I'm going to go with another principle here. Call this number 24, or we can call this number two for tonight, however we do this. We must see. We must let every every difficulty And confusing situation remind us of our own inabilities, our own inabilities, our, our own weaknesses, our own weaknesses and inability. All right. If you notice here, I think it's I think it's interesting to see in Second Chronicles twenty twelve. Oh, our God, will thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company, and neither know what we to do. This this very difficult situation is a situation where they are shown and they confess we don't have the strength and we don't have the knowledge. We don't know what to do, and we and this is beyond our ability. We must let every difficulty, every dif- difficult and confusing situation re- um, remind us of our own weakness and inability. All right? We must let every difficult and confusing situation. It, 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 you may not, I know in some cases, I don't need to be reminded of my own weakness and my own inability. But sometimes I think the more difficult the situation is, sometimes the more confusing the situation is, the more we almost double down in our efforts to fix it. We try to come up with our solutions, and sometimes those solutions end up going really bad. We say things we shouldn't say. We do things we shouldn't do, and we end up making a mess out of it. Sometimes all we can do is like, okay, look, this situation is beyond my ability, beyond my knowledge. I'm just going to, I'm just going to, uh, what I'm going to do here is do nothing and simply confess to God my inability, my weakness my weakness in my ability and my lack of knowledge or wisdom and knowing what to do. It goes against our nature, right? Because what seems like, it seems like we're making excuses that I know that's almost built into our brain, especially I think in, in, in certain, certain aspects of American culture. The minute you say, I can't do something, it's very built into maybe even the way you're raised. Don't say you can't. Don't, you don't, you, you respond to every situation, not with, I can't, but I will. You respond to every situation, not with, I can't, but I will, and I will overcome. You have to give it a positive confession. This is almost built into our minds in the, in the, in in many churches. No, no, we don't need people saying, I can't, but I will, and I can. No, no, no. I think sometimes the, the difficult, the difficulties in life are really there to humble us to show us that we can't. Now, I understand we can say, I can't, 
And I don't like the ability sometimes as an excuse, but abusing, think of it, someone abusing the concept of our weakness and inability simply to make an excuse, that does not lessen or that should not rob us of, I think, the great spiritual benefit of confessing our lack of ability and our lack of knowledge. I know, I know it's easy to use it as an excuse, right? Uh, maybe you did it in school. A lot of people do it. I can't do that. It's just too hard. Just too hard. I can't do that. I, I can never do that. Now, I know sometimes that is an excuse. And, I, and, and, and I, we have to find the balance here. I think what we did is too many people use it as an excuse. So we respond to that abuse of this concept by going to the other extreme, like, no, never confess your inability, never confess your weakness, never do that. You tell yourself you can, you tell yourself you will, you, you pull yourself up in a sense by your own bootstraps and you get up and you do it. And I think sometimes spiritually, it's, it's the, the best thing to do is say, I can't, I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the ability. Now, it's easier to do that when you're a small group of, maybe your army doesn't look anything like their army, and you know you're about to be wiped off the face of the earth, and you have no idea what to do. It's probably easier to go, Lord, we don't have the ability here. But I think sometimes we have to be willing to admit our lack of ability, our to, to, to admit our weakness, to meet uh, to our spiritual weakness, the weakness of the flesh, whatever the case may be. I, I think that that's, I, I, I'm going to argue that sometimes that is actually more, it's more spiritually beneficial to confess the weakness, to confess the inability than it is to try to over, try to cover up that with some bold proclamation. It wouldn't have been better for Peter to go, Lord, if they're, if they're coming to kill you, if they're going to come and get you, I don't know what I'm going to do, Lord. I, I may run and, and hide. I, I may I may deny you. Wouldn't it have been better for Peter just to say, I, I you know what? If they come and try to kill us, I, I may run off. I may I may deny you. I'm, I'm I'm scared. Wouldn't it have been better than him saying, Lord, if everyone denies you, I will not. Wouldn't it have been better just to say, man, I you know I don't really know what I'll do in that situation. I know, and 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 maybe I can't speak for for everyone, but I think sometimes for guys, we always I think we cover up our own insecurities with some braggadocious garbage. We're, like we we <laughs> we we cover we cover up our own insecurities, we cover up our own inadequacy, and we try to we try to do so in some kind of I don't know bold braggadocious pretend. I, I don't know what we tend to do, but I think in some cases, spiritually, it's better to say, we don't know. We can't. We we're, we we don't have anything here. I wonder how many times we've hurt ourselves spiritually by pretending that we can when we really can't, because we don't want to acknowledge our own weakness. It Wasn't it Paul who said that, okay, we're in Second Chronicles, wasn't it the Apostle Paul? I kept mentioning Corinthians, right? I kept mentioning Corinthians. Wasn't it the Apostle Paul who said, see here, was it the Apostle Paul who said in 2 Corinthians, uh, see, 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 I, I was saying 2 Corinthians for a reason. See, I, there was a spiritual reason for it. It was, I was not making a mistake. I was saying 2 Corinthians because I could see in my mind's eye. This is, okay, that I'm not, I'm not going to go there. No, but it's just interesting that I kept saying 2 Corinthians and look where we end up. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
Most gladly, therefore, I would rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest in me. My great, uh, my strength is made perfect in weakness. My strength is made perfect in weakness. I wonder if we really believe that because weakness is viewed, any weaknesses that we have, any weaknesses in the flesh, any weaknesses, any failures, those, those failures are condemned, shunned, ashamed, called out, humiliation. But wait, maybe sometimes it's those who are the most willing to acknowledge. Now, so, this happens even in the church. Sometimes the person who always claims that they're weak and they can't, they can't. Some people will be, they'll immediately get rebuked. You can't. You have the power of God in you. You can't. Stop making excuses. Stop that negative confession. You get up and you do it. But I wonder sometimes that the true path forward spiritually is actually in those who not only are weak, but acknowledge the weakness. Acknowledge it. They acknowledge their weakness. Don't they? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do. They seem to be willing to acknowledge their inability. We don't know. We're, we don't have the mental ability or the physical ability. That to me is amazing here. We must let the difficult situations and the confusing situations remind us of our own weakness and inability. God's strength is made Perfect. God's strength is manifest in our weakness. Weakness is something that we condemn. Weakness is not, when weakness occurs, everybody's like, they're probably not even saved. They're probably not even saved. And they should be this and they should, and we just immediately start with, like the weak needs to be taken out back and put down. That's That's the mentality of many within the church. Now, I'm not saying weakness should be like, hey, just keep doing all the wrong you want. But I think sometimes it's it's in the weakness that where God's strength can be made manifest because we don't get any glory or get any credit for it. All right, I'm going to go with one more. I'm going to go with one more. I'm going to go with one more. Now, what do you think? Are, are, you feel, are you feeling that there's one more? Are you feeling there's one more? Back, at, back to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. See, but we ended up in 2 Corinthians, didn't we? We ended up in 2 Corinthians, All right? Second, now, now I'm starting to, now, now, now I, I wish I would have started the way that I am right now. And now it's starting to, everything's starting to flow a little bit better, right? I was a little worried at the beginning, just, just having one of the, one of those days, many of you know I have seizure disorder. I just have, man, my, my head's not right today. So so a, a little bit of struggle, a little bit of struggle, but maybe, maybe that's good. Maybe that's good. Maybe, maybe, maybe the acknowledging of the weakness at the beginning was a good thing to do. It, it definitely serves as a good illustration, right? Right? I said I could have turned on the microphone and pretended but th- that it would you would have hopefully been able to hear immediately something's not right today because something's not right but that's okay that's okay that's okay we're going to we're going to be fine here right here we go do you see the next one oh our god will thou not judge them for we have no might against this great company that cometh against us neither know we what to do but our eyes are upon thee i think i originally said open to thee upon Here's what we do, all right? When, see, when we, when we are facing the unknown, when we are facing the unknown, Open our eyes to God's word. Now, I know this is very similar to some of the other things we've said, but I think it's important. They open their eyes to thee. For us, I open my eyes right here, right here. Now, look, sometimes it's the hardest thing to do. Sometimes when you're facing a situation and you don't have a clue, what we have a tendency to do is we go to God's word and we start trying to find an answer. Like we face the unknown and we're like, okay, there's got to be a scripture somewhere. There's got to be a scripture. And we start trying to look for an, no, 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 no. 
You just open your eyes to God's word. You just keep your eyes on God's word. You just keep reading it. You keep studying it. Not necessarily to find out an answer for your situation, but just so that you stay in God's word. God's word may not give you a specific answer to your specific situation, but you need to keep your eyes open to his word, irregardless if it gives you an answer, right? So let's go through these again, all right? All right, when confronted with a situation in which we don't know what to do, we, uh, we remind ourselves of who God is, what he has promised, and what he has done. That's very similar to the, to, the, to the last one, but you see, this one, you're specifically reminding yourselves of those things. Next, we must let our difficult and confusing situation remind us of our own weakness and inability. And number, 20, and number 25 or number three, depending on how you're counting tonight, we are, when we are faced, when, when we are facing the unknown, open our eyes to God's word. Is your eyes truly open to God's word? Again, not open to try to find a situation, an answer. So many times people do that. When everything falls apart, they're like, okay, I got to find a scripture. I got to find it. No, 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 no. Just open your eyes to God's word. Whatever that day's reading is, whatever that you say, but it has nothing to do with my situation. That's fine. That's fine. Open your eyes to God's word. I know it's hard to do. When everything's falling apart, you want a scripture that will address that situation. But typically when we start doing that, we start ripping verses out of context. Just open your eyes to whatever God's word has for that day's study. Now, let's go back to 2 Chronicles really quick. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, What do we want to do here? Well, I'm, I'm not, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to go. I, I'm already at 53 minutes. I'm not going to try to work through the rest of it. I was going to go ahead and start. Uh, I, I'm, I was going to start in verse 14 and kind of tell you uh, what happens, but you, you can read what happens if you would like. I'll leave it for you to, to read. Starting in, uh, everything starts uh, in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 14, uh, where you have someone who comes, uh, comes upon them, the spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation, and he tells them what to do. All right, he tells them what to do, that they're going to go down into the battle. And uh, he's going to, yeah, you, you can see, you, you can see what happens in this. You can see, but again, just remember, this is a historical narrative. So what, what people do is they take these situations where God does some miraculous thing and say, see, God's going to do that. And it doesn't always work that way. It doesn't always work that way. What we can see here is people facing a difficult and unknown situation. They didn't know what to do. We, we, can, we can apply that because we face situations where, that are difficult and we don't know what to do. At least I do all the time, all right? And when I do, well, I need to be reminded of three things. When confronted with a, situa- when, when confronted with a situation in which we don't know what to do, we remind ourselves of who God is, what he has promised, and what he has done Next, we must live, we must let every difficulty and confusing situation remind us of our weakness and inability. And next, we must, uh, we are, if, when we are facing the unknown, open our eyes to God's word. There you go. Now, if you're writing down all of these principles, please, I still ask you to share them with me because uh, every time I go back and look at my notebook here, I'm like, I cannot read half of this. I'm, I, you think I'm exaggerating, but I'm trying to write this. Like, I'm, here's the mic. You can't tell, but the mic's right here. Right? Here's the mic right in front of me, sitting on books. The notebook's over here, so I have to turn away from the microphone. And I'm sitting there trying to write, but that, that I, I've got to talk at the same time. So I have to keep leaning back over here. To, and so I'm not even being able to see the page very good for, while I'm writing. So it's a, it looks like ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics is what it looks like, but... I hope the principles are good. There we have it. All right. That, that's an hour. That's an hour of teaching. So I, I guess, I hope that was good. I hope that was good. I'm sorry I started off so rough and I was, I was saying Second Chronicle, or Second Corinthians when I should have been say, saying Second Chronicles. I should have said verse 12 when I didn't say verse 12. Yeah. I hope I read uh, the names correctly and everything else. The, uh, that verse 14, there's all kinds of, <laughs> there's all kinds of names starting in verse 14. So I'm not even going to attempt to do that uh, right now. So, all right, there you go.
I hope that was beneficial. I'm going to make sure that no, there's no questions being asked anywhere. I don't see anything in the Discord channel. I don't see anything here. Okay. I, let me see here. I don't see anything. I think we're good to go. All right. Oh, I know what to do. One thing I need to check. One thing I need to check because sometimes the uh, it doesn't all show up. All right. There we go. All right. Someone said the whole chapter, but uh, yeah. I, uh, let me look at this really quick. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I don't think, uh, I mean, if I, I don't know exactly in what context the question was being asked, but I would say this. Um, I would just challenge everyone to just read verses 14, at least 14 to 30, 14 to 30, just to give you the rest of the context of what happens. I think that will be beneficial. But you don't have to take any, write any principles from it, but you can just see how the story plays itself out. And maybe the way the story plays itself out is partially why Charles Stanley came up with the principle he did. But again, his principle is dependent on this teaching that there is the revealed will of God in his word. And then there's a secret will of God that you have to find outside of his word. You may fall back to his word to kind of verify or check it, but you're still trying to, to figure it out. And then his idea is God's going to do everything to help you find that secret will. But no, it, he, he's using a historical story that's not prescribing how God's always going to act or anything there, but there are some principles found in it that I think are applicable, and that's what I've tried to give tonight. All right, I'll stop right there. Thanks for listening. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That concludes another day 10, scripture number 10, as we continue our 30 days through 30 scriptures. I hope this has been beneficial. God bless.